My buddy, Betty B, a sour puss you'll see. But when I'm done, he'll leave no gun to the joker. He will be C, D, F, C, H, I, I. Love to raise the pain. Believe me, it's no strain. It feels so great to concentrate and look at me. No pain. 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 Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, a podcast devoted to our favorite pop culture from our formative years, roughly 1980 to 2000. In every episode, we take a look at a piece of pop culture from the past, discussing what it meant to us then, and then debating whether or not it still holds up today. Music, movies, TV, and more, it's all fair game. I am Becky, and I am the host most likely to secretly be a cartoon character in disguise. I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to have nothing that can permeate his impervious puss. <laughs> and I am Seth, the co-host most likely to squeal like a tea kettle after having one shot of whiskey. <laughs> so our last few episodes, um, we've talked about things from the 90s, so we decided it was time to go back to the 1980s, uh, 1988 to be exact, and we're going to be talking about... Make the podcast great again. <laughs> Let's go back. Maga, maga, maga. We're going to be talking about the 1988 Robert Zemeckis Disney movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, today. Um, I think it's a movie most remembered um, in modern day by girls dressing like Jessica Rabbit for Halloween. (laughs) Um, But it's actually very underappreciated in modern day. So we're going to be taking a look back at that. Wait, only girls dressed up as Jessica Rabbit? (laughs) Well, I don't know all your Halloween costumes, Seth. (laughs) But we know all yours, don't we? (laughs) Oh, there's going to be another one in this episode. (laughs) Um, I think this... (laughs) podcast really just shows that Becky is a thousand years old and has lived through every single Halloween okay. since the dawn of time. All right, I was going to talk about this later, but now that it's just brought up, so <laughs> we've done, I don't know, over 10 episodes. I forget the exact number. And I'm only... Over 10? Under 15? <laughs> under 4,000. Okay, I've dressed as the Blair Witch, and we've covered that. I've dressed as Elaine from Seinfeld. That was sophomore year. Um, I was... A twister. I was not a twister. <laughs> I was Jan. In eighth grade, I was Jan from the Brady Bunch. And then when Which I... Which year was Don Bluth? <laughs> I was not dressed as Mrs. Frisbee. Just Fris- as Mrs. Nis- Frisbee. Frisbee, whatever her name was. Um, but when I was, when I was <laughs> five years old, I dressed as Roger Rabbit. And I have a picture <gasps> that we'll post on the... Oh. <laughs> we'll post this online oh for everyone God. to see. But I was for the listeners. <laughs> we will have to share this on our page because this is the most darling photo I've seen in quite a while. I am in kindergarten dressed as Roger Look Rabbit. At that sweet faced, tiny little Bex child. <laughs> what Look happened? At her. This explains Look at her. so much. My mom made that outfit for me. That is totally handmade. Um, yeah, so I've loved this movie for a while, so we'll we'll find out in a little bit if I love it today. That's so um, beautiful. Before we get into the movie, um, we want to remind you that we love reviews, five-star reviews, and I think we have one that Chris is going to share. I do. Someone loves us enough to give us five stars. The title of this review is Relive Your Childhood, Great Podcast. It is from The Muffin Man 007. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I love it. I love the name um, already. I'm picturing the Muffin Man 007. I'm picturing James Bond with a muffin instead of a gun. I was picturing uh, a man made out of muffins in a tuxedo saving the world <laughs> from various crazy plots. All right, either one is acceptable. So the review says, very smart and funny podcast looking back at pop culture from our younger years from 1980 to 2000. Hey, this person could write our <laughs> intro for us. 
Uh, loved every episode so far, in all caps. Please do Titanic. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen. Okay, thanks. That's, Can't wait to that hear That is more. like an iceberg on the horizon. <laughs> We're going to crash into it. Muffin 007, Titanic, is, it's the, I think it's the 20th anniversary of this it year. It will be in December. You guys, so I, I, I like think... to think that we fulfill the dreams of people with every episode. <laughs> but today, we're going to fulfill the muffin dreams of Usually Mr. just 007. our own dreams of like doing a Brady Bunch podcast. But <laughs> Yeah. It was definitely my dream to do Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Before we start talking about the movie, I wanted to ask each one of you, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? What was the first thing that you remember saying, I want to be that? Jessica Rabbit. And you grew up to be her, so. Yes, I mean, this is not a visual medium, so you can't see, but I am. He has enormous breasts. Incidentally, you're getting a lot of your bedazzles and sequins on my couch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there any way you can clean that up a bit? No. Well, I mean, you're pretty, but that's not really an excuse. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. <laughs> oh, that, proof. You're oh, just yeah, grabbing. Yeah, yeah. I think case closed there. Um, the first thing that I ever wanted to be was Superman. Um, <laughs> not ambitious at all. <laughs> not at all ambitious. Uh, super realistic. Aw, that's adorable. Uh, yeah, yeah. I Before I knew... Before I understood Superman's very deep character flaws... Uh, I was uh, in preschool. I told everyone I wanted to be Superman. I used to wear red cowboy boots to school occasionally. Uh, just like Superman? <laughs> yep, just like Superman did. Uh, Clark Kent, you know, definitely always attended school in red leather. I think he was a little better at hiding his identity. You just like <laughs> laid it all out there. Yeah, and that that applies to pretty much any other parts of my identity <laughs> I, where I really thought I was being subtle. <laughs> and I was pretty much putting it all on Front Street. Apparently, yeah. yeah. You, you, don't, you don't wear red cowboy boots to school and convince people you're not gay. <laughs> <laughs> but, how, how old are we talking? Um, well, so the wanting to be Superman started in preschool, like and around three years to this old. Day. And yeah, ended three weeks ago with a lot of counseling. Um, no, I and I wore the cowboy boots to school up until about second grade. Uh, at which point, merciless, brutal mockery put a stop to that. Aww. Well, yeah. did you have like a cape? And then there were ruby red slippers for the <laughs> oh, next four years. I definitely <laughs> had a cape. I had a Superman costume um, that my grandma on my dad's side uh, made for me. Um, and, and I had that costume until about, yeah, second or third grade, at which point I Three just outgrew ago. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just kept getting it tailored. <laughs> I would bring it into the tailor and say, well, I grew two feet. <laughs> Need to let that one out. Well, I did not want to be anything quite so lofty as a superhero. Um, an adjunct professor. <laughs> close though, close. Because... <laughs> I want to be an adjunct professor. <laughs> Whoa, was that Baby Chris? Was Baby Chris just in the room? Holy shit. Baby Chris talks a lot more like Baby Herman, I think. <laughs> With a cigar. Mm-hmm. No, I actually, I wanted to be a scientist. That was what I wrote Aww. down in my little journal when I was a kid. Because I liked dinosaurs, I think. So I think I wanted to be Whoa. a paleontologist before was this pre-jurassic park even it was yeah so i think dino riders was a thing that 
people played with, specifically yeah, young boys. Porn. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is this? I might I was into dinosaurs when I was little. So what? So was it this? was. I don't remember it that well, but it was dinosaurs that people were riding. So they had like saddles. <laughs> okay, I do not remember this. I'm going to Google it right now. Yeah. I, I I had a um a subscription to a dinosaur magazine. And then they would like come with like different parts and you could like build a dinosaur. Okay. Like, was these, this different? Oh yeah, this yes. is totally different. We have dino riders. <laughs> yes, it is a T-Rex with some kind of helmet and lasers. I don't remember the story behind it, but I believe that, you know, people were riding. I mean, this is obviously fiction because people <laughs> and dinosaurs didn't coexist. So. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, in the history of Earth that uh, correctly spans 2,000 years... <laughs> Dinosaurs and man clearly coexisted and rode off of Noah's Ark together Wait. once the flood was Thank ended you, by Betsy. Jesus. Are you saying it's only 2,000 years? The year is 2017. <laughs> well, that's a mathematical technicality <laughs> planted there by the devil to confuse okay. us. All right. Anyway. These all have simple answers, Becky. Come on. So you wanted to be a scientist. I did. Dinosaur. Like, maybe, like... Yeah, that stokes my Jurassic Park love. So, apparently... Um, so... Uh, a question for you, because um, seriously, um, in if you're asking me to identify uh, dinosaur bones, I probably can't do it because I'm not actually a paleontologist. <laughs> oh, is this a dilophosaur? spoiler alert? I did not actually live up to my childhood dream. Is this the dilophosaur that you're looking for? Um, <laughs> it, no, it's just funny because uh, both in preschool and where I went to elementary school. Everyone would say that they wanted to be a marine biologist. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it George. wasn't literally like no I had one... that face too at some point. Yeah, but it was so funny. Like, I don't remember anyone saying like, oh, I want to be a scientist kind of in the general sense or literally any other discipline of science. I think it's because little kids like animals. Maybe, but it's aquatic animals specifically for some I reason. think it, for me it was the white coat. I wanted to look like official. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to wear like a white lab coat. That's fair. But so this was when I was pretty young, before I realized that I hate science. <laughs> and it's I'm kind not good at it. Kind of yeah. important like science. Because <laughs> when I actually started taking like biology, biology was okay. I never liked chemistry or any other science. <laughs> I never really gravitated toward it. So I was like, I guess not. But by this time I had already figured out. So I, I wanted to be a writer actually from fairly early on. Scientists I think came before I was really writing, but from probably the time I was in first or second grade and writing stories, like I wanted to be a writer. So And when did you learn to read? In the womb. No. I was I was a early bloomer for, mm-hmm. for reading. I that makes a lot had of a sense. A high reading level, like in third grade, I think I was at an eighth grade reading level. So yeah, I was reading like long books when people were Dressing in red cowboy boots and <laughs> coming to school super. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was in the corner reading. I remember the day when War and a, Peace. A, a young man that I didn't know walked up with a copy of War and Peace and smacked me in the <laughs> face with it and said, boots are for fags. Yeah, that was definitely me. Yeah, I was pretty sure that was you this whole time, but thanks. For- wow. And then I went what off on my dino riders <laughs> and rode off on my T-Rex. You guys, the show is about pop culture, but really it's about us. Okay, so... um. I think most little kids kind of like Seth, uh, you know, they say, I want to be ballerina or I want to be, <laughs> they want to be something that maybe isn't a real job. Um, Wait, you're saying Superman's not a real job? <laughs> it was for I've George Reeve. I've applied to be my local Superman. There is a Superman's association in my neighborhood and I act local, Becky. <laughs> I'm trying to act local. <laughs> local Superman. 
What I can remember, the first thing that I said that I wanted to be when I grew up was an animator and a visual effects artist. Mm. And I honestly think it's because of Roger Rabbit, um, because of the animation and because of the visual effects. I think that's when I really started getting into it. And I was only five and a half years old. So that lasted for a while. And I was an artist and I drew constantly and I, I still draw today. I forget if I talked about on the podcast drawing like every single frame of The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) We did see these drawings a couple of weeks ago. We've seen, you guys, we've seen. There are also many sketches of me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, funny how I've known Becky uh, nearly as long as Chris has. I'll draw you tonight. I'll draw you in another. You missed that crucial freshman year. That's the problem. That's it. That's the problem. I guess I did. Because we didn't live on the same floor, and I lived on the same floor as Chris. Well, I mean, I've posed... We were on the Titanic together. I've posed nude in front of you wearing strings of pearls so many times. She didn't have a pencil. (laughs) Well, and I kept handing you pencils. That was the thing. And you just nod your head, no. And every time (laughs) I die a little... So yeah, I still draw today, but like, I don't know what exactly happened that this career path didn't happen for me. Um, Sometimes I'm actually really sad about it because I live Mm. and work near Disney Animation Studios and it has that big like Fantasia Mickey hat right outside. And I get kind of sad when I drive past it. And I was like, maybe I should have been there this whole time. I live so close to it. should have been mine. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm talented enough to be an animator. Maybe if I had, you know, committed to it and, you know, took more classes or just had more experience as opposed to just drawing my own. But you could have at least um, been a Don Bluth animator. I could have, yeah. Maybe. Um, But yeah, I also loved visual effects because of Jurassic Park. And I remember from a very early age that special... um, Best special, best special effects of the Oscars was my favorite category. And I always was like, I couldn't wait to see what won. Death Becomes Her, I remember being like really... Um, so funny. Like being really into that movie yeah. and the visual effects, which is another Robert Zemeckis movie. Um, mm-hmm. He's actually very... Um, something that I love about Robert Zemeckis is that his movies have special effects, but they're just so seamlessly woven into the story that it's not like Transformers where there's there's a giant robot coming from space. It's like very um, natural to what's happening in the plot that sometimes you don't even know that special effects are happening. Like Forrest Gump won best special effects. And I bet somebody might be like, there's no special effects in that movie. It's because you can't tell that they're that, it's that good. And so it's, that's just yeah, something Yeah, Robin that- Wright was actually not in that movie. They just <laughs> visually composited her in. <laughs> I have a question is like, when did you know that visual effects were visual effects? Like for Roger Rabbit. Good question. For example, Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't think at age five, I would have been, I mean, I obviously knew that. (laughs) The compositing is very, very good. (laughs) He did very good green screen work. I don't think I knew it was like, maybe I didn't have a full understanding of what I was seeing, but I knew it was something magical. Mm-hmm. That I that I knew that I wanted to know more about and like possibly be involved. Like I know dinosaurs weren't real. Like they didn't really film dinosaurs. Yeah, it took me a while but, to figure that. But out. like it made me feel like it did. Like it, I think that's I think that's a compliment to Spielberg and the people that worked yes, on that movie. And absolutely. it's a, it's a compliment. Even watching it now, like I had to stop myself. I'm in my 30s and stop myself watching this movie being like they're not really there. <laughs> that's not really the cartoon is not moving that box like. It's that Be- good. Becky? What? <laughs> <laughs> Becky, I'm sorry to break it to you. Cartoons do not inhabit our physical space. Except for me, I'm Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> That's true. Um, I don't know. I don't know when I actually knew. I don't know. 
I just knew something was going on that was that was really interesting. You're like I want to be whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever's happening in this movie, I want to be it. <laughs> Big swing and animated honkers. Give me some. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get more into the movie. Um, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It was written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. It's based off the 1981 novel. <laughs> Chris! Chris! I thought guys, we could get Seaman's a last it. name. <laughs> get over yourselves. It's a real last name, you guys. He was not making a Seaman joke that made it onto IMDb somehow. That's his actual legal name. The movie is based on the 1981 novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary K. Wolf. Is he an actual wolf or an animated wolf? Because <laughs> I feel like that would be very in keeping with the... His tongue rolled out of his mouth when mm-hmm. he saw a hot girl. Yeah. Um, the actual plot of that is significantly different because in the novel, Roger is murdered and the mystery revolves around his murder. Um, it takes oh, place wow. It takes place in the present day 1980s and it uh, it's, it's more comic strip characters than cartoon characters. So it's very different. So they took a lot of liberties with the source material. Is it a graphic novel or just a... It's a novel. Like, novel. Novel. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So they basically took what was a good idea of like cartoon characters and real people interacting and, and uh, being a, like a wow. mystery noir. Mm-hmm. Um, and they changed it completely because the movie is set in the 1940s. It's old Hollywood and it's you know, golden age animation uh, cartoon characters. Yeah, I looked into the novel a little bit too. And I guess like the reason for the title change is like in the book, like they actually speak in cartoon Mm -hmm. bubbles and someone like censored whatever he said. So he was like trying to say whatever the mystery was. And then that got... Was he trying to say the seven words you can't say on television? (laughs) Oh yeah, he was a big Carlin fan. He's a big Carlin guy. (laughs) It's just really influenced. Yeah, Um, so I mean, I feel like that book has a really interesting premise even though it's definitely not like the something for a kids movie but yeah i think i think it was great that they took something that seemed promising and did their own thing with it and they did keep the names jessica rabbit roger rabbit and baby herman well and that's like a that's an incredibly interesting concept and i i literally i didn't do any reading about the book or anything i didn't know it was like about actual censorship Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because this is still a political movie in a way um but it's it's the, the whole framing of the movie being in the 40s and a lot of mm-hmm. aspects of the way that they integrate it um, makes it a more accessible and appealing movie to more groups of people than I think it would be if it were kind of a direct adaptation mm-hmm. of what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was greenlit at $30 million, um, but... I'll I'll get to it later, but it did spiral out of control, yeah. and it became around 58 to $70 million. I can't wow. get, can't get a definite number from the internet. The box office domestic was 156 million. Wow. The box office worldwide was 303 330 million. So it was a hit. Damn. That's a real hit. It was like that's that mm-hmm. would even be a really big hit now. Yes. Yeah, was- adjusted for inflation, the foreign box office is now exactly like the worldwide box office which is like 330 million. So that would wow. just be here in the US. Yeah, so it's definitely yeah. big. Um it was the second highest grossing movie of 1988 in the US behind Rain Man. Um, and in front of Coming to America. So very interesting year, actually. Um, it was nominated for six Oscars. It won three, Best Sound Editing, uh, Best Film Editing, and Best Special Effects. Mm. It was awarded an honorary Oscar for animation direction and creation of cartoon characters. So it's not actually um, unheard of that an animated movie would win like an honorary Oscar, because I remember when Toy Story came out that John Lasseter won a special Oscar that year for making the most... Um, for making the first computer animated feature length film. I feel like Walt Disney himself won oh, I'm sure, um, yeah. honorary Oscars too a couple of times. Yeah, I'm sure. It stars Bob Hoskins, Charles Fleischer as the voice of Roger Rabbit, Kathleen Turner as the voice of 
uh, Jessica Rabbit and Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom. Um, there, it was many actors' last performance in this movie. Um, Mel Blanc, who's the voice of Bugs Bunny, Tweety, Porky Pig, Daffy Duck. I mean, he's a legend. He did all the voices in this movie, and he died the following year. So that's the last movie his voice appears in. Wow. Um, Stubby K uh, was Marvin Acme. He retired right after shooting this movie, as did Alan Tilvern, who played Arcade Maroon. So a lot of people's last movie. I think it's a pretty good one to... That or... I think it was Jessica Rabbit's last movie, too. <laughs> I haven't seen her in anything. You have an obsession with Jessica so Rabbit. We're not, we're not saying here at the When We Were Young podcast that Robert Zemeckis kills <laughs> actors and or cartoon characters, but we're also not saying he's fully innocent. <laughs> we'll never know. Who framed Robert Zemeckis? As I said, the movie was a hit, and it got like completely positive reviews across the board, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. People loved it. Um, I did watched some bonus footage of like the making of and they said that they did a test screening um but they did it for the wrong audience it was like people on dates young people on (laughs) dates on a friday night and people like the movie opens with a roger rabbit cartoon and it's like the first five minutes is a you know standard roger rabbit cartoon what that which feels like a looney tunes cartoon. yes feels like tex avery looney tunes kind of cartoon yeah and they said that people walked out of the movie So it was like it bombed hardcore in that test screening. But I think that they knew that they did something wrong with the audience that they picked for this test screening. So they didn't really change anything. And they well, were so right. Let, let me pause there and ask, mm-hmm. um, what stage was Zemeckis at in his career? Because it occurs to me, you know, that a filmmaker at a certain level of prominence and already having a lot of successes would be able to take in a bad test screening like that and say, oh, well, I'm not going to change anything because these reasons. Well, he had Final Cut, and it he wow. was um, he was hired for this movie because of Back to the Future and Romancing the Stone. They were both okay. big hits. So, so this huge. was between the Back to the Future movie. Yeah, so this yeah. was, first had already come out, but the second two had not come out yet, so. Well, I forget when Back to the Future 2 and 3 came out. But 89 and 90. I oh, really? Right okay, yeah. great, because they were filming this in 1984, but it took so long wow. to to film and oh, then wow. edit. So it took a long time. Yeah, did so we came say out, when it was released? Like, 88? Uh, June 22nd, 1988. Okay. He was doing very well. Yeah, that no, he, that's that's a really established name by that point. I have a couple of reviews, okay. if you don't mind yeah. me reading them, just because I wanted to Chris is the, the arbiter spectrum. of reviews. I am. Uh, we love the When We Were Young podcast. No, I'm just kidding. This is a, <laughs> this is a review of um, Roger, Roger Ebert's Ghost. <laughs> no, he actually really liked it too. I checked his review. But this one is from the Washington Post, Dessen Howe. He says, if you don't like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, have your pulse checked. Robert Zemeckis' multidimensional free-for-all where cartoon figures bump, quip, and cavort with flesh and blood characters is not only a technical tour de force, it crackles with entertainment, which I think is pretty much the critical consensus. Mm -hmm. But um, there were a couple of negative reviews. I hate these people already. (laughs) Richard Corliss from Time said, something got lost in the move from storyboard to screen and in the stretch from seven minutes to 103. Well, his name is Corliss, and it sounds like he doesn't have a core. Yeah, or less, yes. Mm-hmm. He's just hollow inside? Yeah, like Kevin Bacon. <laughs> what? <laughs> Any other negative reviews? That's it. That's it. Um, I, I should hope there's literally only one. <laughs> um, other people considered for the role of Eddie Valiant, which is played by Bob Hoskins. It was Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, and Eddie Murphy. Oh, man. Kind of strange 
can't picture any of those people. And that Great. is four way different movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, very, very different. And maybe I can see Bill Murray. I feel Bill like I can see Bill Murray. I think sure. they're all great comedic actors in their own right, but I literally cannot see another actor but Bob Hoskins oh, no. who does it so believably and so fully inhabits. Yeah, let's just talk about Bob world. Hoskins right now because uh, his performance I think is undervalued because of the special effects happening around him kind of catch your eye. But he's the one that's alone in this movie looking at nothing and acting amazingly. As I've kind of briefly mentioned on other episodes of the When We Were Young podcast, um, a lot of the movies that I was first introduced to were just movies that were around the house uh, taped on VHS tapes from like taped from cable, taped by my cousin who was a movie buff from birth basically. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit was one of the first movies that I discovered that was just on a VHS tape uh, lying around my house. So I must have seen it from it having come out in 1988, so I was four or five years old at the time. I think I saw it for the first time not too much longer after that. Mm-hmm. I think I must have seen it at around six or seven years of age. And basically, from then and continuing through kind of every stage of my life, it's been a movie that I've loved and enjoyed and discovered like more and more than I like about it. But it really was one of the first movies where I noticed amazing acting. Hmm. Um, and I really, like, from one of the first times I saw it, just loved Bob Hoskins and loved his performance in that movie so much. And obviously at six or seven, like, you see a lot of kind of stories in cartoons that revolve around detectives or detective stories. So I wouldn't have seen any like detective movies from the 50s that started that genre, but I had certainly seen cartoons that kind of reflected the hard-bitten, world-weary detective kind of character. Yeah, Bugs Bunny did that a lot. Mm -hmm. Bugs Bunny did it a lot. A lot of the classic Looney Tunes did. um, And I know a lot of the Disney shows, like DuckTales and stuff, also had those kind of things, Mm -hmm. those tropes repeated in them, too. Um, But Who Framed Roger Rabbit was one of the first movies where I, like, really had a detective character that I could see it as such and, like, really loved it. And I loved Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. And rewatching it now, like, he's... He is the anchor of that whole movie. Mm -hmm. It's his movie. It's absolutely his movie. Yeah. A little bit more trivia about other would-be actors. Tim Curry originally auditioned for the role of Judge Doom, but he was found to be too terrifying. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) That's fair. That's very appropriate. Um, I I love Christopher Lloyd in this movie, and I honestly, watching this movie, I was like, one day, is he going to get a lifetime honorary Oscar, like lifetime achievement? Because he's just so good in everything. And he's just one of those actors that's probably never going to be nominated for anything, but he's just so good. He's not in very much these days. Not these days, but he's just done such good work, and a lot of it in Robert Zemeckis Mm -hmm. movies. Um, Charles Fleischer, who is the voice of Roger Rabbit, he requested that a Roger costume be made for him, and he wore it every day off camera as he was saying the lines uh, to Bob Hoskins. Was it the same one that your mom made for you? <laughs> uh-huh, my mom made it. Okay. <laughs> um, but you can see this on the internet if you look up any like behind-the-scenes featurettes on Roger Rabbit. I know that um, there was one making the rounds recently, and you can see Charles Fleischer wearing this Roger Rabbit costume. He looks ridiculous, but it's hilarious that... <laughs> That he wanted to be in character off screen. So I had to call my mom just to try and confirm this story because I had a weirdly specific memory of seeing (laughs) Roger Rabbit for the first time at the library. Like, I really feel like she took me to a screening of this movie at the library, like after it had already come out on video, probably. 
And I don't know why I remember that, because I was probably, you know, like, Mm -hmm. five years old. But that's just, as soon as we started thinking about it, I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw it at the library. Um, I don't think I liked it, and I never saw it again. (laughs) (laughs) Until, like, this week? Yes. Wow. So I had never seen it since I was five years old. I just remember it being, so I, the thing I remembered most distinctly about it was the steamrolling scene Mm -hmm. with Christopher Lloyd and he gets flattened and I remember finding that like mildly disturbing when I was a child. They say he's a cartoon but he looks real and so I think I was just like a little disturbed that a real person could be steamrolled over Uh and then come back. I remember finding that frightening. I do remember going to like Toontown at Disneyland in various Disneyland visits. And I remembered the movie Tummy Trouble, the mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit short that played before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because Becky sent us some links to the shorts. They're all on YouTube. You should all watch them. And when I got that link, I was like, I think that was in front of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So it's weird that I remember that more so than I even remember seeing the movie itself. Was that like an atypical thing at the time for a short to play in front of a movie? Because maybe that... I think it was, made yeah. You- oh, by that, it was really irregular, yeah. So maybe that's what... Because I remember that too. I remember seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and there was a short, a Roger Ebert short before it. I um, definitely saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in the theater and I do kind of vaguely remember there being a short in front of it. And I feel like it was advertised with it, too. I feel like that was a big part of it. It was a huge hit, so, I mean, they probably were... That maybe got people in the theater to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's just talk about the movie. So I'm kind of... Chris, I think you should go first. You have never seen it before or since you were five, so what did you think? When we were five. Well... (laughs) When I was coming into this episode, like I said, I hadn't seen it since I was five. And I know that this movie is a classic. It made a ton of money. And I figured I was probably just too young to get this movie when it came out. So probably now I'll appreciate it more. And I watched it this week and I hate this movie. Oh my God. I hate this movie. I kind of had a feeling. I had a feeling. I <laughs> Is this payback for Buffy? No, it's not. I mean, it's so clearly payback for it Buffy. It is not payback for Buffy, even though I Becky. mean I kind of wanted payback for Buffy, but this is not what I chose for that. But I wrote notes during the movie. Here are some of the notes that no, I wrote. He just wrote oh, notes no. of hate. Don't listen to them. Don't read them. So loud, so obnoxious. <gasps> One of my least favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. Next note. Can I, I- stop watching this? <laughs> I desperately want to turn this off. Oh, my, oh my God. God. I feel like this show is also <laughs> a very, very clear psychological breakdown of how early and how thoroughly our tastes and things are cemented. And mm-hmm. when dislikes of things are set in place very early, I think it's really impossible to shake them. Like, I really, really do. Okay, so how far into the movie did you start having a spilkis? I don't know what that word means, but... You're not Jewish enough to say that. It was probably, like, 20-ish minutes. I, like, I gave it a little bit of a chance to to get the plot going. But, uh, like, I literally watched this movie stone-faced. I thought it was, like, every moment was, like, god-awful. And I had to stop it halfway through and watch an episode of Girls just to clean my palate out what? to get through the rest of and, the movie. And shaking Girls my head. cleans your palate? It actually didn't because it was kind of a sour episode of Girls and then I just felt like that was the same. I had the same feeling watching this as I have watching Girls, which isn't usually a good thing. I have never been more insulted by you in all my life. Did you like the filmmaking of it? No. We didn't appreciate the, the, the quality. I, I'm like flabbergasted. 
Yeah. Okay. I've been Gaston in my flabbers right now, <laughs> and I need some time to sit with it. <laughs> so I watched the behind-the-scenes video that I think Becky sent. There's one on mm-hmm. YouTube. And I watched that, and I appreciated, like, the level of attention to detail that they put into this movie. But when I was watching the movie, I really didn't think the animation felt... Like, it didn't feel organic into the world at all. To me, it felt oh. really fake. It just, like, they were two different planes, and I just... Like, okay, so what? Uh, okay, so I'll ask this: What format and resolution did you watch it in? It was just DVD. Okay, because I I will definitely say I watched it on I've I have a DVD of it. Um, I'm sure I've downloaded it at some point. Don't listen, MPAA. Um, I ha- I saw it in I think I saw it in the theater at least at some point, maybe at the Beverly. Uh, at the New Beverly or something, like in a Revival House kind of setting, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it in a theater. Um, I watched it in Blu-ray this time, and I thought that was the closest to feeling like a good representation of it. Um, And I also checked the DVD, and it does not look nearly as good. And part of that, I'm sure, is the quality of the transfer at the time, but part of it is also probably that they remaster it in some way for a Blu-ray. Yeah, but I also think, like, because we're so used to seeing, like, CGI and computer animation now, which is 3D, Mm -hmm. and so it's just, like, for someone who didn't grow up, like, watching this a lot and, like, believing that this was a real interaction. Now it's like the 3D character or the animated characters are just flat and Chris, I promise we did not see it as a documentary before now. (laughs) Is what you're reacting to the quality of the special effects? Or is it that it's clearly a movie where physics works in a very cartoony kind of way? You know, because there are moments of like a lot of the there are a lot of really slapsticky moments. Yeah. And, and they kind of stand out in a way as being very clearly unreal. You know, like there's the scene where Bob Hoskins takes Roger to the bar where his lady friend works and throws him in the back room uh, very demonstratively because he's hiding him away from the weasel gangsters trying to track Roger down. And that moment where he throws him is very over-the-top and cartoonish and obviously very unnatural, but there's no situation in which the word natural would work at all in that description. So like I'm I'm trying to get an understanding of what doesn't work for you specifically. There's a lot. <laughs> Do you just find Roger Rabbit obnoxious? Yes. And I is hate that Roger Rabbit. But is that I hate his character. I hate the voice work. It's so annoying to me. Hold still, will ya? Does this help? Yeah, thanks. Do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. Because <laughs> I watched it with my husband, and I think he was probably in the same boat as you. Uh-huh. Um, seen it long ago. Had he ago. never seen it before? Okay. I mean, I think he saw it long ago, hasn't watched it since. And he was, like, not really into it. I think he liked it, you know, in his head. He was like, I have a negative opinion of this movie. And then he watched it with me. And you did not me. dare because you would get a divorce. <laughs> Well, like at the end of it, I think it's he was. It's in the prenup. I asked him, I'm like, did you like it more than the last time you saw it? And he's like, yes. But I was like, that's it. My <laughs> husband's problem was that he thinks Roger is obnoxious. And it seems like that's the main problem that you have in this movie. And I think that he is annoying, but entertaining to me. Like he's annoying the characters in the movie, but for me, he's entertaining. But it seems like 
that's <laughs> that's part of my problem with I have a lot of problems which I think we'll get into as we discuss okay. the movie more specifically um I could have been fine with it. Like, the special effects are good for the time. Like, I can watch movies that are old that, where the special effects don't necessarily hold up to today's standards, and that's fine. But to me, the story of this movie also doesn't hold up, and that's where I really fall out of it. Really? It's, yeah. Okay, before you get into this, I gotta say, I love this movie, and I think it's flawless. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie, and I... This must be one of my favorite movies, and I've forgotten about it for a while because I obviously was a fan of it, and then it, the DVD sat on my shelf for a long time until we were doing this podcast, and I was like, oh, yeah, that movie that I loved. Um, it's got to be – I think it's in my top five. Like, it's just – it's right under Train's body. <laughs> um, I think the effects still hold up today. I, As I said earlier, like, I, I had to remind myself that I'm watching, like, mastery of animation happening and that they're, they're not actually in the scene and that when – He's moving on a box or he's moving window blinds like somebody is behind the scenes rigging all that. And when I think of that, it just makes me like the movie and more. And I, I love the story and I think it's a great noir or kind of reminds me of The Big Lebowski where it's a funny comedy, but it's also like a good noir story. Yeah. So see, this is the perfect uh, pivot point for me to ask you, Chris. Um, so obviously I had not seen detective movies when I was a literal child watching this for the right. first times. Um, but I've since seen and fallen in love with, absolutely fallen deeply in love with, um, The Big Lebowski, that's my favorite movie ever, mm-hmm. um, and traced back to the detective movies that kind of established the real tropes that those movies play on. Um, and I, like, I love The Maltese Falcon, I love The Long Goodbye, I like The Big Sleep, Um how like have you seen those movies? Do you like noir as a, like detective noir as a genre? Yeah, I actually took okay. a class in at USC called The Monster and the Detective, and so a lot mm. of it was exploring those old film noir. So we did Philip Marlowe and Mickey Spillane. We watched a lot of the movies that were based on those books, and yeah, I really appreciate those. The Big Sleep is great. The Maltese Falcon is great. I like that. To me, this was just such a pale imitation of it. I mean, I know it's obviously like a parody, but this joke has already been done so many times in Looney Tunes cartoons that I felt like that joke just works better in seven minutes than it does over a whole feature. Like this movie to me is just like a sketch that's like stretched out so long beyond like how, how long I think it's funny. Don't know how to reply to that. It was nice knowing you. (laughs) One of the things that I love so much is that I feel like the filmmakers in this movie are showing off in almost every scene because it could agree. (laughs) It could have been lazy. Like it could have been, you know, Rogers over here and I'm over here and we're not touching. And, you know, I walk this way and he follows me. But like Roger is being stuffed in his in his trench coat. There's a scene where they knock a light and the light is moving. So the shadows on Roger constantly change. There's a scene where, um, I mean, just pick a scene. Like, everything feels like it's showing off. The scene where Jessica Rabbit first appears, which is just, like, I think that's when I was little, and I still was, like, that's when I was, like, oh, wow, when the, the when he went into the Ink and Paint Club, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you saw, you know, different different cartoon characters from, you know, Disney and um, Warner Brothers yeah. together. Um, and that, everything that was moving. That blew my mind so much as a child. It blew like, my mind. Wait, how are they even allowed to know each other? I know, it blew my that mind. That is weird because we still don't see that. I, I don't think that there's right. any way now that Disney and Warner oh, Brothers no, that would, would never happen. You know how that happens? Is because uh, Steven Spielberg was very instrumental in asking mm. all the studios to lend their characters to 
um, this movie. And wow. so they still did, they like, they, they couldn't get Popeye. They couldn't get a couple, mm-hmm. um, but they were able to get like Warner Brothers was the big one because of Looney Tunes. And I felt like that was really important that it wasn't just a Disney world because then it would have felt a little too like inside you know, inside, this is just Disney, but it was cartoon characters in general. So there's, like, Tex Avery cartoons, and Jessica Rabbit is obviously inspired by, like, I think her name was Big Red or something, like, that, you know, buxom, red-headed. Well, and um, also Betty Boop, who has a Betty moment. Boop, yeah, you know? Betty Boop has a moment. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? So, yeah, just, I was just in awe of how much detail and work went into almost every shot of this movie, Um when they could have been lazy. Yeah, to me, it just feels like one of those really bad comedies where it's like nothing but cameos. And it's just like these people pop up, and in this case, it's cartoon characters, but they don't really have that much to do. I liked the Betty Boop cameo. Mm -hmm. That was like really the only one that worked. Like Mickey Mouse comes in and like does nothing. Like it doesn't say anything about Mickey Mouse, like who that Mm -hmm. character is as, you know, an icon. He just like pops up. And does a couple lines and then he's gone. And it's like, well, it's not clever. Like, I just didn't find any of the writing of those characters very clever. And it didn't, like, the whole conceit of this movie is kind of like, what if all these cartoon characters were real and there was basically, like, a Hollywood version of these characters and they all live there and it's it's basically like Hollywood but well, for cartoons. Well, okay, so... But it's not just that. That's not... The conceit is, doesn't stop there. The conceit is that, given that there is a world in which all these cartoon characters are real, and that's one place, Toontown, and they all inhabit it, what happens when greedy developers come to town and want to destroy it? You know, like, it's it's ultimately Who Framed Roger Rabbit is kind of a political story. Mm-hmm. It's Chinatown. It is. It was based on Chinatown. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is. But um, I did not, like, so that did was not a compelling, no. And I also, I just don't, I think, like, the Warner Brothers universe and the Disney universe are so different that, like, mushing them together in this way didn't really work for me. It's like, you can do a parody of Warner Brothers, which I, I feel like this leans hev- more heavily into Warner Brothers than it does into Disney. And it's just kind of distracting that Disney is part of it because... Like, if you want to do a parody of the Warner Brothers cartoons, that's fine. You can do it. And they do it. But, like, the Disney characters are just thrown in here. But this movie has nothing to say about Disney, actually. Like, as a as a brand, as a historical thing that's been around for, you know, Does decades and to? decades. It's not... No, but it's not aiming to be a critique of Disney. It doesn't have if to be anything, a critique, but... If anything, it's more a critique of Los Angeles, and of Hollywood, like writ large, and of because I like Hollywood is a town that's built around an industry, mm-hmm. was literally built mm-hmm. around an, an industry. Um, and in the process of the phases and eras in which it's been imploded and had to recreate itself, uh, it betrays a different group of people every time. <laughs> and I mean, the kind of, like, central story thing is parallel to a kind of popularized urban legend about the way that Los Angeles' transit system, um, our public transit system of streetcars and subways, uh, which was kind of the most comprehensive, not just in America, but in the world in the first half of the 20th century. This movie really is kind of a critique of the way that that 
system was bought up and privatized and turned into a bunch of freeways that support, you know, tons of pollution, tons of freeway traffic, tons of traffic jams. What a great idea for a children's movie. What I really love about this movie is that Eddie Valiant's character and his arc is about reclaiming his sense of humor and how having a sense of humor can actually save you. He loses a sense of humor. He used to be a clown. You can see like in pictures during one of the montages in his office that he used to be in the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus with his brother. They were like two goofballs and then they opened this detective agency. They happily worked with cartoons until his brother was murdered the movie opens and he's a drunkard he's lonely he doesn't want anything to do with anyone especially cartoons and the whole movie is about him being forced to you know move on from his brother's death and learn to be funny again and i thought that's something that's not really in any movie really is that roger's teaching him like you know have some fun and and laugh and having a sense of humor is very important and i think not even knowing you know really realizing that moral when i was little i think i probably took that to heart Picking up on that, I think um, even a lot of the movies, I don't know, I feel like The Big Lebowski, in retrospect, is kind of a, a bit of a needle at the detective genre, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that Lebowski is a detective who doesn't take himself seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think you've really got something there in the sense that it is kind of, uh, in a way, deconstructing the detective genre, because in any of the Philip Marlowe stories, almost any of the straight-up Philip Marlowe stories, um, he's not trying to combat his world-weary existential angst. He is living in the thick of it at best. Mm-hmm. At best. And in in some of those movies, paralyzed by that. Um, but in this, the detective rediscovers his sense of humanity. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's a... I think it is a thing that does work as a children's movie as well. Um, Because, I and I mean, not just because I loved it as a child, but I do think that the kind of way that the animation and the live-action characters are put together does have enough of that slapsticky charm to have carried me through. Um, And, yeah, so it's, it's surprising, like, as someone with now with a grounding in those detective movies that that you hated it that much. <laughs> well, I just don't think the mystery is that interesting. Like you But the mystery is never that interesting. The mystery is never the point. The it's mystery more in detective movies this. is never solved. See, I found it to be interesting. I mean, maybe it's just, you know, but like in the in the Big Lebowski in the Big Lebowski, just like in the Maltese Falcon, just like in the Big Sleep, um the mystery is beside the point. And it always reaches a place where you go 30 steps beyond the mystery and the detective character is still kind of lost and knows that he's lost. Yeah, I mean, I agree that in most of those movies, the mystery is not the main thing that you're interested in. But like in this one, it's like you see Christopher Lloyd for the first time. You're like, oh, that's the villain. Obviously, like I know who's behind this. He's dressed all in black and has crazy sunglasses on. Well, you know he's the villain, but you don't know that he, like, killed... Yes, I do. <laughs> well, but you don't... I'm absolutely sure But do you know that he's a cartoon character? Mm, like, does it matter? I don't know. None of that I just mean, I, interested me. I mean, even that could be... Like, if you got it right away, like, oh, that's the bad guy? Like, I don't think you would have known he was a cartoon character, so there's still a reveal at the end. I guess, but just none of that was that interesting to me. And just, like, going back to the 
animated cameos. Like, I, I just feel like this movie misses an opportunity. Like, if Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny were both these kind of, like, diva kind of characters and they were both, like, these big stars that had, like, a rivalry that was almost like a Betty Davis and Joan Crawford thing. Like, I think this movie misses <laughs> the opportunity to, like, you know, really you, say so, something so about these. So do you wish these. that the movie focused on pre-existing characters Becky. and explored them versus creating this new character. I would like that better, I guess, just because I don't find... I think Roger Rabbit is the least likable cartoon character I can think of. Honestly, like, Becky, at this point, I think it's clear the only thing that Chris misses is Jessica Rabbit fucking. <laughs> that's all that... No, I didn't like Jessica Rabbit either. Okay, let's talk about Jessica Rabbit because I was okay. going to ask what do you guys can think of, can of Jessica. Can we what do you think? What do you think? What are you thinking? So it took three actresses to play her, apparently. <laughs> Amy Irving was the singing voice. Yes. That was uh, Steven Spielberg's wife mm-hmm. at the time. And then Kathleen Turner was the voice, and then there was a body double to actually do it. I think that this movie misses an opportunity to say something about that kind of character. She's obviously the very classic femme fatale character, but she's really just, like, hot, and that's it. That's her whole character. I feel like it would be more interesting if she... She's not just that, though. What does she do? Well, she's loyal to her husband. So. She's loyal to her husband, and she's not loyal for the reasons that a femme fatale is usually loyal. Like, she has a real she has real chemistry with him. Okay. I mean, I don't know how much to put into, like, a 90-minute movie where she's not even the lead. Look, that cartoon lady I- fucks that cartoon rabbit, and that's romance. I didn't, I mean, I just didn't buy that at all, I- I like the line where that she says, That means you're like, speciesist, okay? That makes, That's what the commentary he makes on me the laugh movie. is, like, I like that idea, but I didn't feel that chemistry. Like, I never actually saw him make her laugh. Did you? <laughs> I'm trying to think if she laughed in the movie. I don't think she does. No, That's but she's thing. like, when they're t- together on screen, they're in danger. So Right, yeah. but, like, they're- if you want to sell that idea that, like, she's with him because he makes her laugh, like, show well, it. Well, Chris, once. again... I don't know if you understood the full canon of work here, but there's an entire erotic Kama Sutra series of Jessica Rabbit oh, I'm and sure Roger Rabbit's seduction. I don't even want, I don't want my little childhood brain. There's a DVD like... box set that talks all about the positions that they use. Patty cake? Yeah, that's the biggest one. That's the primary position. Well, Seth, what do you think of Jessica Rabbit? Because her being all boobs and, you know, skinny waist, it didn't bother me because it's an obvious play on uh, an archetype in Tex Avery cartoons and that kind of era of animation and that she wasn't like, she wasn't like a slut and she did care for, you know, I felt like there was more there. Probably not enough that Chris needed. You've got the wrong idea about me, Mr. Valiant. I'm a pawn in this just like Roger. Can you help me find him? Just name your price, and I'll pay it. Yeah, I bet you would. You gotta have the rabbit to make the scam work. No, 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 I love my husband. You've got me all wrong. You don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. Yeah, well, you don't know how hard it is being a man looking at a woman looking the way you do. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant way of playing off the integration of animation and live action. Um, I thought, because again, I I think it's as 
playful as their approach to using the detective genre, because the way that the case always gets brought to the detective is the buxom woman walks in his door one night when he's in the middle of his own angst and his own existential crisis, Mm -hmm. and she brings him the mystery that he can't possibly resist. Um, I... uh, And again, each time I've watched this movie at different stages of my life, there have been different reasons that I found that interesting. Um, I think the first time it was just like, oh, pretty lady, who's a cartoon? Um, But now, again, like, watching it again, like, there's... When she explains, like, the chemistry that she has with Roger Rabbit, I felt that was a really interesting contrast um, with the kind of desperation of Valiant's character throughout. Um, and again, she's, I, I think she's a good foil for Valiant and for Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. um, who kind of humanizes both of those characters in, in ways throughout the movie, uh, whether those characters are actual humans or not. I can tell you that Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of Disney at the time, and Roy Disney, they thought that the movie and Jessica Rabbit were too risque and uh, had too many sexual references. So, That's not surprising. Yeah. So we, paralleling what you were saying earlier, Chris, about how, like, I, I, I agree. I don't think that you would ever see a confluence of Disney and Warner Brothers mm-hmm. cartoon characters at all in this way anymore. Um, I also don't think that you could have made a movie that's not rated R that would have had this many adult jokes and references in it. Yeah, you know what? Like, a few years ago, um, I watched the movie again, like, 10 years ago when it came on DVD, and I was like, oh, this is an R-rated movie. And I was like, no, it's not. It's PG. Oh, my God. Like, there's a lot of sexual innuendo in this movie. Like, way more than I thought. remember there being when I was five. Yeah, Yeah, it reminded me of The Brady Bunch, which we did a couple of episodes Mm -hmm. ago. In that way, is like it has this juxtaposition of like stuff that's really slapsticky for kids, and then like humor that goes over the kids' heads, but that's very sexual. Yes. But to me, it was like the exact opposite ratio, where it was like almost all slapstick and then some sexual humor. And I just like the slapstick was like what I hated about the Brady Bunch movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that's what I wanted to cut out, and so basically, that's what I wanted to cut out of this movie, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be a five-minute short that was just sex i guess (laughs) weasels and tits that's basically my review of this movie is i do think it's like the reason that it has what it has is because robert zemeckis had final cut so he was like no i'm gonna keep it in i don't think that that could happen today it would have to either be g i really don't either i don't either and actually like rewatching this it had slipped my mind that robert zemeckis directed it i have a less than stellar track record in loving robert zemeckis's movies i think so do i yeah i think in a lot of cases 75 25 loving what he does Mm, more like 25 75 wait okay so let's name off some i'm 40 60 to be very generous let's name off some stuff so obviously back to the future movies this movie um, I don't love any of the Back to the Future movies. I think those are one of the most overrated film fan franchises ever. I couldn't ever. disagree more. <laughs> I find it kitschy to the point of not being funny. Oh so God, to me, this God. movie is like the ultimate exploration of where Zemeckis falls short for me as a filmmaker, which is just wow. favoring the technical over the story. Like, I think this movie wow. has basically no story. See, I can't oh believe... Oh, my God. I, I like, just See, can't I But can't literally, the more. point that I was going to try to make before <laughs> Becky forced <laughs> us into a filming listing, um, I thought this is one of the most adventurous examples where Zemeckis used 
technical innovation to tell a story that wouldn't be told otherwise. But um, what is this? What is the story? What is the actual story of this movie? It's about a man uh, mourning the loss of his brother. That's one story, and learning to live his life again. That's one. It's a detective movie with cartoons. It doesn't have to be more complicated or a deeper level uh, critique of society. Like, it doesn't have to be a more intricate movie than that for it to work. And it's bizarre to hear those words coming out of my mouth, because that's usually the premise under which I'm knocking another Zemeckis movie. Right. I think, like, your critique of it is my critique of of a lot of other Zemeckis movies, including the Back to the Future franchise. Like, I I find in a lot of, in most cases, that he lets the attempt at advancing the form of filmmaking um, substitute for quality storytelling. And that is exactly how I feel about this movie. It's it's exactly like The Walk. Flight did that to a certain extent because they had that masterful plane sequence and then the rest of the movie is kind of built around. Um, What Lies Beneath has a little bit, like it's very flashy technically. Um, Forrest Gump even, even though that one best picture, you know, it was also very well known for its special effects. Death Becomes Her, I love Death Becomes Her, but it was definitely a special effects movie. And I just feel like that's just his thing. It's like he he, always puts the special effects before the story. I totally... I don't agree just because I feel like he picks stories that have special effects as opposed to, I mean, I said it earlier, but like instead of just monsters from space or like robots or like that's what the main draw is, I feel like he marries them very well. I guess I'm in the minority in this trio. I feel like he's drawn to the special effects before the story. I know that Death Becomes Her was another VHS mm-hmm. that I have. I think oh, yeah. I still have Me it. Too. Me too. It was like, a, yeah. no, but not the bought in the store one, the like my mom's handwriting on the label. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> it was not a Pizza Hut movie, though. I it think it may have been sold at Burger King or making something. Making it great. Um, <laughs> I did not see Death Becomes Her until just a year or two ago. Oh my God. And I absolutely love it. I love that movie. I wonder, I really wonder if I would have hated that movie if I had seen it at a young age. I think that is the kind of movie (laughs) that I'm, well, but I think that's the kind of movie I might not have liked at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so revisiting a movie like that now. I wonder if my perception of it uh, of it would be similar to yours, where I would think that the kind of technical aspects outshine the character and acting and performance. But Death Becomes Her is still funny. Like, I don't know. Th- this movie, like, there's no relationship between Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit. Like, their relationship doesn't evolve in any way. It's not what interesting. What do you mean? Like, it's just, like, <laughs> like what is their, what what is their art? What do you mean? Roger Rabbit teaches him how to laugh again. I mean, that's, like, and he also gets over his racism of tunes because of what happened mm-hmm. to him in the past, and he learns to work with this race Chris again, which is tunes. Like, Chris just doesn't like a movie where humans get woke to cartoon <laughs> I mean, I, issues. I totally see a relationship. They, they're these two people that are forced to be together, that don't want to be together. This man is forced in this situation, and he learns to be happy again and also get over his fear or hatred of this set of people that are tunes. Not, no, and, it's not just be happy again. He learns that he literally has to save himself by being a silly jackass. Yeah. Like, that's, it's it's even a step beyond that. It's like he has to learn to be able to embarrass himself to save his own life. It's like he becomes a cartoon in a way. Yes, and, exactly. And I, that's why I feel like the exactly. story fits 
you know, the fact that it's with cartoons. I feel like that and it, moral and it fits, fits the that. way that it's mashing up cartoons with specifically the detective genre. I just, yeah, I didn't feel any of it. Like you were saying in the Scream episode that uh-huh. like you couldn't buy the reality of the situation because the characters were saying so many jokes. And this for me is the same thing, but like, well, I mean, Robert Zemeckis is no Kevin Williamson. Well, I think that, I think that the cartoons (laughs) in this movie are the ones doing the jokes because that's what cartoons do. And for a while he's reacting realistically. I think like all of the people in the movie, I feel like are a very, you know, maybe a little heightened, but more realistic, a little heightened. <laughs> a little heightened. I mean, like Arcade Maroon and um, Acme. Yeah. Well, I'll give you that. Um, but like, I feel like they are pretty grounded. They really do are. They are acting like cartoons are a normal thing in their world, and that's just reality for them. And the cartoons are the ones that are like wacky and over the top. And here's a joke, and there's a joke, and here's. So a So we're gonna pry your eyes open and force you to watch this film at least five more times. <laughs> you know and what? We'll I'm see gonna, how you think of it. Only if I can stop and watch girls in between. I will totally admit that when this movie started, and I haven't watched it in years, my nostalgia kicked in. And I was, because I have happy memories of this movie. I had a Roger Rabbit doll that I honestly remembered when I was watching this movie. And I went on eBay looking for Roger Rabbit dolls (laughs) because I remember sleeping with it and I like loved it. And like when I heard his voice, it was a happy thing for me. And so if you're not, if you don't have those memories, I can see why he would be obnoxious. So I I, I see zero things appealing about the Roger Rabbit character. Like, do you have anything to say about this character? Yeah. Like, I think he's funny. Like, and I I think he's funny. I think he's I think the animation for him is funny. Like whatever they're doing with his ears and like his voice is funny to me. I think Charles Fleischer did an amazing job, like creating this iconic voice for this character that didn't exist before. I love the shave and a haircut, two bits thing. Yeah, just I loved his facial expressions that the animators made like I just thought he was funny and and he's the kind of character that I that at least for me he's annoying to the people in the movie but for me who's not you know dealing with him in that way he's funny to me like I'm laughing at him annoying people See, he was just as annoying to me as he was to Bob (laughs) Hoskins and I was just like please leave Roger Rabbit well but see why did you not then connect with Bob Hoskins because he has no character either it's very like it's so broad that it's just like I didn't feel any like real no one in this movie felt realistic to me. Like, wow. it was all the most broadest stereotypes See, I've like ever seen. I don't agree with that in another respect that I wanted to bring up. The fact that I love that Bob Hoskins and I can't remember her name, but the girl who played Dolores. Joanna The, Cass- the woman Cassidy, who played Dolores. Think, like, I felt like if this movie was made today, that she would be some, you know, 22-year-old, yes. like, hot girl. Yes. And he would be, like, a Ryan Reynolds guy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they actually look like adults living in that time period you know, dealing with not having a lot of money and they look like grownups. And I just really appreciated that. And they're actually even remotely age appropriate for each other. Yeah, they're age appropriate for each other. Like I just, Uh I totally bought that they were real people that would be together and in that time frame and in that world. See, I thought that that character, the female character, just compounded how sexist this movie was because you have Jessica Rabbit who is nothing but a sex symbol. And like I know she's kind of a play on that femme fatale role. And this woman, her only character is that she's like devoted to this man. Like that's it. That's her whole I didn't I didn't She's really not that. she's I mean, a proprietress. She she's, she's a waitress. I didn't I guess I I mean she doesn't have the biggest role, but it didn't bother me. Like she didn't Wait, do Wait, does any, she not is she just a waitress? I thought she owned bar- that bar. Um no I well I think she had a boss because she said management looks at the books 
on Friday, and if I don't have that money. But she seemed like well, a bartender. Still, she's, the, she's the person who runs the place. That she's not. De- I don't think she's me. deprived of agency at all. I just like she was not interesting to me. Like it, it was all about like she loves him, and then Jessica Rabbit is all about Roger Rabbit, and it was just like the women have no story beyond how much they feel for the men. I don't know. She, I mean, <laughs> not to defend like Roger, uh, Jessica Rabbit, but like she's the star of this show. I mean, she has something going on other than on everyone saying tits, everyone saying that she's out of his. Based on her and... voice as well, her voice is <laughs> not sir, that good. Sorry, Amy sir, Irving, but sir, they're not there for her voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, they exactly. That's my point. Uh, well, Chris I mean, is the wrong men about are this obviously film, as well. The men, like Bob Hoskins, is a type as well, but. Like, everyone in this movie is just a type, and I just didn't really feel like any of them transcended that. Like, it was always really predictable beats for me, and nothing in this movie surprised me in terms of the story. From the villain reveal, which was... What about the weasels? Did you like the weasels at all? They were fine. Like, I really do wonder if I'd seen another of Zemeckis' movies at a really young age, because... just, I, I know that Back to the Future were also other VHS tapes my mom or dad taped off of HBO, but I didn't watch those until I was older, and I really do not like the Back to the Future movies. Like, I actively dislike oh, them. Oh, man. I... But that's, the <laughs> thing. that's another episode. But that's yeah. the thing. I wonder how differently I would have seen them either way. I've, I must be like, he doesn't work for me all the time, Zemeckis movies. I don't have like a hundred percent track record, but like I think like the Back to the Future trilogy and this movie are flawless. I think they're just perfect. So I must have whatever he's doing, it's working for me. Um and it's not working for you all the time, Seth, and it's not working it's for ne- you. It's almost a lot. never working for me. <laughs> so I don't I mean I think I'm gonna get yeah. my diploma revoked because <laughs> I went to USC. I went to school in a building named after him. He's the Zemeckis listening. Center has said no to you. Yeah. <laughs> I like a couple of his movies. But especially like his later movies, like Polar Express and Beowulf, like oh man, I feel like I he just Polar got Express. so oh, crazy carried Polar away. Twice. <laughs> I've never that, seen. It. I've actually never seen it, so Polar I shouldn't Exp- critique it. I but. saw it in the theater. It's a horror film. Oh my god! Can I tell you something? So we saw no. that movie at USC in one of our uh, Leonard uh, Malton classes, where we see movies before so they come bad. out in theaters. God, it was so bad. I'm telling a story. So <laughs> we saw the movie and the person next to me, my friend Dave, we both look at each other and we're like, that was amazing. That was so good. We loved it. The next week is when you talk about the movie you just saw the week before. And we're all like talking about the Polar Express. And the lecture starts and he asks, the first thing he asks is what everyone thought. Everyone was like, boo, it was the worst, boo. And me and my friend were like, what? Did we watch the same movie? And then me and my friend Dave went in the theaters when it went out and saw it together again. Was I in Malton with you? <laughs> I don't know, but everyone hated I it. I thought I was in I was class ca- with I you. was so caught off guard. It's just yeah. one of those moments where I'm like, am I crazy? No, because I think that's where I saw it too. <laughs> you were crazy, yes. Yeah, and you were crazy. I have not seen it since those two times, though, so I it's don't know still how terrible. I feel today. But <laughs> It is the Uncanny know. Valley personified know. in a film. Well, I'll have to see Much it like Beowulf, see. it's terrible. Yeah, I just feel like even The Walk, which was kind of like this movie in that it was live action, but also very, very animated in certain ways. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I just, like, think he, like, gets really excited about the special effects and forgets to write a good story. <laughs> so I went into this movie actually expecting that I would like it, that I would find it more sophisticated 
because when I first saw it, I was five and have not seen it since. So I figured the jokes went over my head back then. Now I'll see what it was doing. And I was like so shocked that it just seems so juvenile to me. I think a movie that kind of does the same thing, but I like actually better is Howard the Duck. Oh my God! <laughs> I quit life. I think Howard the Duck is a better movie than this movie. And I resign audience, from life. Audience, Seth and Chris and I, <laughs> We've we've watched Howard the Duck together. Were you there, Chris? Actually, I was there. Okay, you were there. We watched it half and half with. What I want to say like movie? Escape from L.A. Is that the one? It we wasn't were... that one. Wasn't it that one? Escape from Howard the Duck. <laughs> was it the Warriors? No, it wasn't the Warriors. Did anyway, we not do like a ten minutes? We did of a that ten minutes of Howard the Duck and then ten minutes of something else. And this is how we watched Howard the Duck. And I can't believe <laughs> you just I said that. I can't believe you. It's one of the worst movies. I am so offended this. on behalf of Roger I Rabbit. I hate this movie. I hate. I hated every moment of watching it. I watched it like stone faced. Oh like I did not smile once during this movie. I think your average episode of Scooby Doo has a better mystery than this. Oh my god! The movie's title <laughs> is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and you're oh like, as soon as you meet Christopher Lloyd, you're like, oh, that's who. Well, I like a pile of shit more than I like Buffy. So, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> And I feel like I feel like critics would hate this movie now. Like I feel like this has this is to me this is the same as like an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Like it's just zany. There's no story. It's just like crazy gags. Sir, this is no squeakquel. This is no squeakquel. It was a pre-squeakquel to me. I feel like you're just an internet troll trying to get a reaction out of me. I feel no, like... No, I, I legitimately was excited to watch this movie because I thought I would like it. I really did. I was... I'm sorry you I didn't... I don't even believe you a little bit. No, I went in with the opendest mind. I turned it on. <laughs> the opendest? I don't think it was the opendest. And then I, I think watched it. was short it, of opendest. And think... then I was just like... Mm. Oh my God. Uh, Howard the Duck? A... Howard the Duck? At least it has a premise to it. Like, what this are you doesn't Chris, about? Chris, I could have taken all of this until you invoked <laughs> Howard. Well, I, I did that specifically to make a point. And you <laughs> That's did. That's how I feel. And you did. So I'm honestly, like, relieved because we've been doing this <laughs> podcast for a while and everything else I've kind of liked. Like, even Alanis Morissette, which I traditionally don't love. I was like, I respect her as an artist. This movie, I just flat out hate it. Well, I'm never going to make you watch it again. Wow. No. You're not. Wow. I'm going to put on Moonlight, and then it'll actually be <laughs> Robert Rabbit. <laughs> I mean, they're so similar, I might not notice for a few minutes. It'll take a while, an act or two. I mean, so, so you're in the minority, <laughs> because <laughs> this, this movie was, uh, was so popular that it brought a renewed interest to the golden age of American animation. And it led to the Disney Renaissance. <laughs> so that led to, you know, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Wait, how did this movie lead to the Disney Renaissance? Um, people... Don Bluth saw it. <laughs> um, <laughs> from my understanding of researching this movie online, um, it was very hard to greenlight because of the budget. Mm -hmm. um, but Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time was saying that it would help save the Disney animators because at the time Disney was going through a slump in the eighties, as we discussed in the Don Bluth episode, they were going through a slump. They had to lay off people, people were leaving. They thought that the breakthrough in animation that this movie would bring 
if done successfully, would make people more interested in animation, specifically Disney animation. And it did. It was such a blockbuster that they, you know, brought on more animators and they spent more time and money on their animated movies. They never again did, you know, combining live action with animation, but their resources went into their animation department and out came the Disney Renaissance. So it really did do something good, even if you didn't like this movie, like it really did bring about, I mean, if you do like those movies. I like those movies. um, Yeah, it's interesting. This movie wasn't released under the Disney banner. It was released by- yeah, touchstone. So like they they weren't willing to put their like yeah. Disney stamp on it. But you can see why it was very. It does have adult humor. Yeah. I can totally see why they didn't want to put like you know, the Disney castle in front of it. To me, it feels off brand for Disney. Like it, it feels much more like Warner Brothers. And I'm actually surprised now, having watched this movie, that they even have any Roger Ebert reference at Disneyland. It's very subversive. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll agree with you there that it's it seems very... It does seem off-brand for Disney because it is subversive. It's got adult humor. Like, watching it again, I was like, I don't think this would be done today. It, no. it, it might be, again, under their, like... A, is it still Touchstone today? No, they don't um, have that anymore. I don't think yeah, they would release know. it today. And I think it, I, I think it is kind of remarkable that it was made at all. But one of the movies that was clearly influenced by Roger Rabbit and trying to piggyback on its success was the movie Cool World. Do you oh, remember man. this movie, yeah. Cool World? I, I, like, remember it. I've never seen it. Oh, um, I saw it So I theaters. was, like, a Nintendo Power subscriber. Uh-huh. That was, if you're not familiar, Nintendo's official magazine. Um, <laughs> I had that. I actually had that. Yeah. yeah, so, like, that, between that and I was also a popular science subscriber from a young age. You see, I already um, figured out I didn't want to be a scientist, so I was not a subscriber. <laughs> well, and I don't know if you were popular or not either, so no, I can understand I you not being a subscriber. It was a double that. negative for me. Yeah, uh, just really not a winner. Um, but, no, I saw a million advertisements for that movie, but I never saw it. So it came out in 1992, which is... Um, four years after this movie. So it probably saw the success and then it began the animation on that movie. But um, basically, Cool World is is an R-rated movie that is all about... Is it R or PG-13? Oh, it has to be R because it I'm is... I'm going to... I think it's you PG-13 can look it up. because I saw I, it when I was I'll be surprised if it's not R because it is a, it's a movie with Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger who voices a, uh, a, a cartoon called Hollywood. And it's all Clever. about like... It's all about like... This animator who gets sucked into his own well, creation. Well, do you think they named her after like after the city Hollywood? No, I think it's, it's a coincidence. Yeah. It's a coincidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, he Just gets su- he gets sucked into his own creation, and it's very like 1970s kind of animation, like Felix the Cat, like sexual, yeah. erotic kind of. You know, definitely not for children. Fritz uh, the Cat. Fritz the Cat. That's yeah. what I'm thinking not of, Felix. not Felix. Yeah. Fritz. Yeah, yeah. Fritz the it Cat. is PG-13, by oh the way. Oh, my God. But apparently it was envisioned first as a rated R movie <laughs> it is and so then turned R- down. It is not... It is probably the one movie my mom should not have taken me to. <laughs> when I, cause also like, 40 other movies. <laughs> like, it, there's like, there's like cartoon sour, sex Becky. in that movie. There's like cartoon on uh, live-action sex in that movie, and then she becomes like a human. Natural Born Killers, fine. <laughs> Cool world, no. It, I think it's about the, the fact that she took me... like, But I don't blame my mom, honestly, because I think they were trying to piggyback off the success of Roger Rabbit that is more kid-oriented. They were, and yeah. And the trailers and stuff was like, come see this movie, it's live action and, and cartoons. And it's the, the whole... Like, the plot is about her having sex with a human 
to like become human. It is terrible and it's seedy and I rem have memories of this movie and it's just like kind of gross. It's like a gross movie. Um, but as far as that, I don't think that animation and live action became like that big. I know CGI became big and then, you know, I mean, there's a million movies you could reference with that, yeah. but. I just looked at Roger Ebert's review of Cool World, which <laughs> says that the um, the marketing promised, if you liked Roger Rabbit, you'll love Cool World. And he's like, you, he was wrong. <laughs> he gave it one star. It was, I mean, I remember being, what, 92? I was like nine. I remember hating it at the time. I was like, that was not good. <laughs> I've always been a cool runnings man, not a cool world man. Yeah. So, I was, I've always been a Spice World person than a Cool World person. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. World or, or cool. <laughs> yeah. War of the Worlds. So as far as like a sequel to Roger Rabbit, there there has been one in the makes for a while, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. J.J. Abrams met with Spielberg in 1989 to discuss working on a sequel. Oh my God. So I don't know what J.J. Abrams was doing then. If he's like an up-and-comer. Was um, he a fetus? I know, seriously. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, there was a script written at some point called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit. It was a prequel. It had Jessica being kidnapped by Nazis, forced to make pro-Nazi propaganda, and Roger travels overseas to save her. And Spielberg was, you know, going to do this, like executive produce it, but then he made Schindler's List and he realized he couldn't satirize Nazis after that, <laughs> which is probably a good call. I just want to imagine the meeting <laughs> where they're like, it's 9 a.m., Mr. Spielberg. You have two scripts before you. <laughs> One is called... Uh, who discovered Roger um, Rabbit? Who discovered Roger Rabbit? The other is called, um, let's see here, uh, Schindler's List? So recently, Zemeckis was um, promoting his new movie, Allied, and he was asked about, you know, a Roger Rabbit sequel. He said he would be interested, but he was quoted as saying, the current corporate Disney culture has no interest in Roger, and they certainly don't like Jessica at all. So I think it really shows the fact that this movie could not have been made today, and I don't think anything really will happen with Roger Rabbit. Although I have to say, after watching those little cartoon shorts, I think that might be a good avenue if they did want to, you know, have, uh, you know, a comeback for his character. And a lot of things from this era, um, like the late 80s, 90s, is kind of coming back. So if they did want to, like, bring him back, I think the best way, honestly, would probably be, like, one of their shorts. Well, and it's also really interesting because as kind of short-lived as that hybrid of animated and live-action footage is... I feel like that's the thing that would work so much better now and be so much cheaper to do now in a digital age such as this. You know, like when the costs of producing, um, when the costs of compositing uh, any kind of footage together are so much lower than they've ever been and the quality is so much higher. And also when the costs of producing animation in any form are so much lower and you wouldn't have to do like actual cell painting of yeah. stills, I feel like it would be possible to do on a much um, more efficient scale one, but also with much higher quality. I agree, but I think that some magic is lost by not doing it that way. But I also feel like people generally don't have as much of an affinity for Roger Rabbit as they have for other characters. Like, maybe you do, but I think is it I, really the character that you like? Do you really... I like well, him. I Well, and I think the the flip side version of that question is, is that technique a thing that is all that compelling in and of itself? You know, yeah. because think of it this way, like, 
the way that we conceptualize an animated story is in an animated world, there's nothing that's kind of inherently added to it necessarily by having live action interjected into that. And on the flip side, it's like there's nothing like inherently magical about, you know, adding um, people into some kind of cartoon world. So like, I'm not sure if that's, a technological innovation that has that many stories that that could amplify. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think, like, CGI has kind of blended these two. So, like, it was at one point really novel to see animated things in a realistic-looking world. Definitely. But now we see animated realistic-looking worlds, Mm -hmm. and it's just, like, it's not that interesting now to see animated characters in a real world. Um, I feel like this movie... I think the closest thing that we've seen to this movie lately is the Lego movie because it has all those cameos from famous animated figures. I guess they're like Lego figures in that movie, but like that that movie reminded me of this, but I thought thought that movie did so much better at just like taking like the Batman persona for example and like spoofing that persona than like Roger Rabbit did. At, like there's no there's no real commentary on Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse or almost any of the animated characters that pop up there. It's just like, here's this animated character that you love. Like, here they are again in this crazy thing. Like, it all, Betty Boop was the one that I felt like they actually had a statement about a little bit because she was... Still black and white. And- she was still black and white and she was like a waitress in front of uh, the Jessica Rabbit show. And I was like, that's kind of funny because she was... She's an antecedent to Jessica Rabbit. But other than that, I just think it missed a lot of opportunities to actually say something about these characters and what they meant, like, in terms of pop culture. And the Lego movie, I think, did that better. The end. (laughs) (laughs) As you can tell, I think it holds up. I think Seth thinks it holds up. I think this movie's Uh, amazing. Chris is is not a fan, but... uh... It's it's funny how you can look at the same thing and people will find different opinions about it and just have a different history with it also. This is the number one Hollywood movie of all time, although La La Land is like creeping up on it. So Oh, you mean like in the box, box office, office rankings? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So La La Land will probably take it over before it's done with the box office, but for now it was still the number one. So that was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Obviously, this was a heated debate here today. Um, Blood next- was drawn. <laughs> I framed him. It was me. Just place Chris it Chris did it. Chris is Judge Doom. And we have censored him. So next time that you tune into the podcast, we'll be discussing Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Unfortunately, that is all the framing and the rabbiting that we have time for today on the When We Were Young podcast. The When We Were Young podcast was produced in the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this show, I would urge you to subscribe to us on iTunes and also leave a four or five star review for us on iTunes. Or six. Or six if you find a way to smuggle in additional stars, providing that you are not giving separate one star reviews. Again, we've established we do not accept those. If you would like to follow us on our social media pages, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can follow us on Twitter at show. 
You can email us at gmail at www.yshow at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for future episodes of the show. And you can help donate to us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash young and help us defray the cost of a show that we bring to you entirely for free. I'm Becky. I continue to be Seth. That's Becky and that's Seth. And I'm Chris. <laughs> Should I try my Roger Rabbit impression? Yes, you definitely should. I used to do it. Let's see. (laughs) Oh, God, it's been a while. Please! (laughs) I thought it was pretty good! (laughs) That was it? That was real good. It was brief, but good. You try that. You do it. You do it better. (laughs) I only have a Jessica Rabbit impression. Do it. Oh, my God, please do it. No, sing like the other man did. Dad, I just drawn that way. No, sing the song. Sing the song, Chris. Come on. What song is that? Is that an original song? It's from the 40s. Why don't you do right like some other men do? Come on, Chris. Why don't you do right? I'm afraid not. You're going to go home and jerk off to Jessica Rabbit. I mean, I did that many times already. Now that's the real end of the show. <laughs> you had plenty money, nineteen twenty-two. You let other women make a fool of you. Why don't you do right like some other men? Roger Rabbit. Yeah. What a lucky coil.